when the shit hits the fan, who do you bargain with? <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's funny. I read this crazy book. What was it The Four Agreements? And one of the things it said was, don't worry about stuff you can't control. And that put me at, a, at ease with a lot of stuff. So that's pretty much who I bargained with. I go, yeah, I could get really riled up and really, you know, bent out of shape about this and that happening and that happening and this, but I can't control it. So why worry about the stuff I can't control where I can focus energy on something that I can't control, which is me. Hey guys, what's up? It's Allison. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to episode six of season three of the Allison Interviews podcast. That is a mouthful. I think I need to change that up. Like, who gives a shit what episode number it is, right? Anyway, moving right along. So, I am so excited about this interview with actor and director Kadeem Hardison. For all of my fellow Generation Xers who grew up watching, like, I forget what it was called. Was it like Must See TV? I don't know. It was on Thursday nights, primetime, NBC, all the best shows. The television show A Different World premiered as a spinoff of The Cosby Show. It premiered in 1987, and at first it was a vehicle for actress Lisa Bonet. Love her. I'm, like, obsessed. I live for her. (laughs) But anyway, so she was on the show, I think, for, like, the first two seasons. And it was really cool because Felicia Rashad played the mom, obviously, on The Cosby Show. And then her sister, Debbie Allen, was actually the director of A Different World for a really long time. I think she directed something like 80 episodes of A Different World. But in any event... The other stars of A Different World were, of course, Kadeem Hardison. He played a lovable nerd turned, like, kind of hot guy, Dwayne Wayne. It was really interesting, the evolution of his character, right? Like, at first, he was that annoying guy that was kind of undateable. Next thing you knew, Jasmine Guy's character, Whitley, was madly in love with him. Yeah, it was, like, super weird, but, like, really interesting and cool to watch that happen. And the show was actually, apart from being funny and just having having an amazing cast, like Marissa Tomei was on there, Jada Pinkett Smith was on there. They had some amazing guest stars. They had Patti LaBelle came on and played Kadeem's mom. Tupac came on, who was a friend of Jada's in real life, as everybody knows, and he played a love interest for Jada. I mean, and on and on and on. I think Tisha Campbell, Heavy D, like there were so many amazing guest stars that came through that show because everybody just wanted to support it. And the reason why is because it was it was a groundbreaking show. It highlighted the lives of young college students, young African-American college students attending an HBCU, historically black college and university, for anyone that doesn't know what HBCU means. So it was, yeah, it was groundbreaking because for so many young people across the country, particularly young people of color, it was like, oh my God, they're showing the lives of these college students at a historically black university. And for people around the country that really didn't know anything about that, it was educational. You know, it was eye-opening, I hope, at least I'd like to think. And for, for young black high school students, it was like, wow, 
I, you know, I'm going to go to college or I'm going to attend an HBCU. You know, it was, it was just, it was revolutionary. It was brave. It was courageous. It was so many different things. And it was a really important monumental show. And honestly, if you are a millennial or Gen Z, whatever the case may be, definitely try to catch it in reruns. I don't know. I'm sure it's playing on some streaming service somewhere of, of all the streaming services. I'm sure you're going to find it. So yeah, check out A Different World. It ran actually from 87 to 93. During that time, Kadeem actually did direct a couple of episodes and he directed one really iconic episode of the show, which you'll hear about during the interview. He also went on to star in a Disney Channel show called Casey Undercover, where he played Zendaya's dad. And it's funny because my that's how my son got introduced to Kadeem. My son, who's now 12, was watching Casey Undercover for years, and he knew who Zendaya was like way before I did because he's so much cooler than me. And of course, he knew who Kadeem was because Kadeem played Zendaya's dad for years on this Disney show. <laughs> so yeah, so that was pretty cool. And now actually Kadeem is going to be starring in an AMC television show that's coming out, I think, later this year called Moonhaven. And it is a really interesting concept. It's about a utopian society on the moon, and they're so much more evolved and advanced than we are here on Earth. Like, not that that's saying a lot, because, geez, geez Louise, look what's going on here on this planet. Anyway, so this group of people in this utopian society in the show Moonhaven that Kadeem will star in, they are trying to figure out how to fix things here on Earth. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm in a sarcastic and salty mood today, as you can see. Anyway, so yeah, we get into all of that. We get into Kadeem's early life and what led him into acting, his relationships off camera with Lisa Bonet and Jasmine Guy. No, it's not what you think, but he was and is still very close friends with them. So anyway, sit back, relax, or do whatever you're doing and enjoy this interview with Kadeem Hardison. Generally speaking, can you tell me I would say like maybe two or three pivotal events that happened in your life that made you the person you are today. I think moving out of Brooklyn and going to live with my mother in Manhattan, that changed me from, you know, just hanging out in the street to getting focused, going to acting class, going to art school, delving into all kind of into the arts, really. That kind of interesting helped get me here. And uh, I guess another pivotal moment would be, I guess, that a, a different world audition, you know, that that final audition, getting that gave me the confidence, I guess, to sit or to be comfortable with who I was and with being nervous. I had to figure out what to do with that nervous energy. And I decided that, OK, well, then this character is going to have this nervous energy. I'm going to use it on screen. I'm going to let it be a strength instead of a weakness. So early on in the show, I can tell that I'm nervous. Other people can't, but I channeled it in a way that gave me confidence that it's okay. It's all right. The train is moving. You either get on it or you get run over by it. So interesting, because I think everybody thought that was just the character. The character was a little hyper, overeager, you know. Yeah. That was I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't written. That he was yeah. hyper, but the but the words played into it, and then I dove completely into okay, I'm gonna use my hands and not I can't stop my hands from moving when mm -hmm. I talk. I can now as a grown up, 
but then I couldn't stop my hands from moving. So that became, you know, I had to lean into it. I had to be like, no, I can't. If I fight this, it's going to look weird. It's going to be acting. So I got to just roll with what I got until I figure it out. Do you realize what a profound impact Mm -hmm. you had on a generation of kids in terms of making them want to go to an HBCU or even making them want to go to college? It's amazing. At the time, we had no idea the impact. We'd hear that the show was highly rated. Mm-hmm. And then we would also hear that that was only because we were after the Cosby show and before Cheers. So as much as it was a compliment, they'd snatch it back and be like, well, you know, we could throw some gorilla poop up there and people would watch. <laughs> well, it gave you a chance to build an audience and it, g- it gave the show a chance, whereas now it's very, very hard for a show to get a chance right? because of right. the way the way content is pushed out now. Yeah. Absolutely. You get half a season sometimes and you're done. You get 10 episodes and then, okay, we got something else. When you first started on the show, well, was Jasmine Guy's character on the first season or was it just Lisa Bonet? They were both on the first season? Yeah. Jasmine and I both came in after they had recorded, I think, three or four episodes. And then they put it out that they wanted some other characters, some new characters. And I got the job and then we went that weekend and we shot the opening credits and Mm -hmm. Jasmine wasn't in them because she hadn't got the job yet. When we went to work Monday, she had her final call back. She came in Monday after reading and auditioning. And right after that, she came straight into the table read. And I think that might've been episode four. And then we went back and inserted us into the first three. So the first season, Jasmine and Lisa were definitely both there. Marissa, Dawn. So who did you have a bigger crush on? Lisa (laughs) or Jasmine? (laughs) Boy, yeah, that's tough. I know there had to be at least one that you were like, oh, my God. (laughs) I met Jasmine the year before we did a film together. We were Mm -hmm. in the same film. We didn't really, characters didn't speak. But in the downtime, we kind of got to hang out a little bit and, and, you know, being at parties and, and stuff like that. So I, you know, oh boy, I had a crush on Jasmine the minute I saw her. And I had worked with Lisa the year before that. I did a guest spot on the Cosby show. And that was different. I was just really interested to know how she dealt with the fame thing because she was probably the most famous person I had ever met at that point. So our conversations were like, so what's it like, you know, with that big light on you, that spotlight everywhere you go? And, and she said, well, you know, I used to love to go to malls and nah, I don't go to malls anymore. I used to love to go out to the movies and, blah, blah, blah. and it was all about the things that were kind of restricted or she restricted herself from because they brought so much attention. So, yeah. So, you know, she was more like someone I was gaining knowledge from. And Jasmine was just not just, but when I met Jasmine, it was heartbeat. It was holy cow. Wow. And then once I had them both, once I got to be with both of them, yeah, it's impossible to pick. I got to, <laughs> I got to, I got to pretend to have a, a crush on Lisa, which was uh-huh. the easiest job in America. And then <laughs> once she was gone, I got to pretend to fall in love with Jasmine, which was mm-hmm. the second easiest job in America. Wow. 
And you guys were sequestered down in Virginia. Is that where you were filming? No, no. We were in Studio City, California. We shot, we oh, shot every. I don't know why I read that you guys were in, or it was supposed to be in Virginia. Is that what it was? Like fictionally speaking, it was supposed yes, to be. Yes, exactly. The The show yeah. took place at a fictional HBCU in Virginia, which of course, most people think it's this one or that one, but it's really an amalgamation of a bunch of them. But did um, you know that there was actually a real Hillman? Yeah, somewhere in, is it Tennessee or? or yeah, Mississippi. There is, yeah, Mississippi. Yeah, don't go. That's not it. <laughs> if you're looking don't for apply us, there. That's not the. That's not that's the home not from it. the show. <laughs> you won't find us down there. Yeah, no, <laughs> not one of us. <laughs> I remember thinking this when I was in. I, don't know, I think it was in high school, and I was watching the show, and and it was just a curiosity to me, and I always wondered why. I was like, oh, why did they cast Marissa Tomei, and why is she the only white girl on the show? And I know that sometimes you'll have white students at historically black colleges and universities because maybe mm-hmm. they just applied there or they live in the area or whatever. But why did the producers choose to cast her like that on the show? And how'd she feel about it? Um, I thought our characters were kind of made for each other mm-hmm. because she was kind of off and I was definitely off. And I thought nobody sees him out of the group. You know, the girls that I'm chasing all the time. Nobody sees him. Why doesn't she see him? And why doesn't he see her? Because they seem like they could bond off their uniqueness or the the fact that they're both a little bit off. Interesting. She was cast before I got there. You know, usually when you make a show, you better have some white characters in it or (laughs) or someone's going to say, well, why are there no white folks on it? It's a historically black university. (laughs) Black being the operative word. Uh, so I loved her character. Yeah. I was sad when she was gone in the second season. During the first season, she and I both lobbied to the writers to put us together, let us have more scenes together, let something develop between us. Like, why doesn't she see him? Why doesn't he see her? Like, it just seems so That's obvious that the two, the two weirdest outcasts would kind of find each other. But no. Because I think that that circumstance back in the late 80s would have maybe like hijacked the whole show in the media. The sensationalism of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, of an interracial college relationship. In the late 80s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's keep the blacks with the blacks and the whites with the whites. (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. And you guys had some amazing co-stars. Yeah. And what was it? Patty LaBelle played your mother? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Okay. What was that like for you as a young Pat- actor? Patty was not a trained actress. Debbie called her and said, I think that you would be great at this. And Patty was I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an actress. And I probably learned as much from Patty as mm-hmm. an actor as anyone else. Jasmine, Lou, Myers, Glenn all taught me a lot. But Patty had this innocence and this fearlessness where if she messed up something, you know, she would keep going. She would plow right through. And some of the best moments between Dwayne and his mama are moments that weren't scripted. You know, my favorite moment, I'm having a fight with my girlfriend, Kinu, and because Jasmine's character, Whitley, is in there just trying to stir up something to, to break us up. And I know the breakup is coming, but I haven't been able to kind of 
verbalize it and own up to it. And the fight ends and it's just me and my mama and, and she's feeding me my favorite prune cobbler that she makes for me. That was my thing. She made prune cobbler and I gobbled it up. And at one point she's spooning it into my mouth so fast that I can't get my lines out. because that was her action her action was you know feed him while you speak and she just got so into her lines and her speaking that she just was you know like a machine and I was like whoa 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 I can't (laughs) I I haven't finished the first and it was just you know you could hear the audience you could see you could hear the audience kind of saying, wow, she's feeding them pretty fast. You could you could hear that reaction kind of oh, going in on. In the studio? Like in yeah, the yeah, studio yeah, because we did it in a live audience. So whenever something happened real on set, the audience would react. And, and that was real. And then she dropped some. She was going so fast, she mm-hmm. dropped some on my shirt and just like a mother, scooped it up with the spoon that she was feeding me with and ate it. And then went right back and I was like, wow, like as an actor, things go wrong and you try to figure out a way around them and you try to mm-hmm. make the best out of whatever situation. But watching her do that, totally fearless, totally free, like, oh, I dropped some, let me get that and keep going because my objective is to say this line and say this and I got to say this. And So she was so hyper-focused that anything, any bump that came along, she just kind of crushed it. And I just was like, wow, I, I got to remember that. I got to remember that mistakes are good especially Mm -hmm. when you're acting because it gets a real reaction from the other person that that you're hitting the ball to. And then they in turn react and hit one back to you. And, and it it creates an incredible kind of flow. A human moment. I always say that when people fall out of character, even Mm -hmm. in life, Mm because we all kind of are in character sometimes, like Mm -hmm. just even in our day-to-day lives, when you fall out of character For example, there have been times I've been doing interviews and the dog barks or like Mm -hmm. something happens and me and the Mm -hmm. other person, like we start laughing. And then that's when you see each other's humanity. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You saw you saw that she was not afraid to scoop up a piece of pie off of my shirt (laughs) and feed herself with the same spoon she was feeding me like a mother would. Like another actress might be like, I'm not going to put that spoon in my mouth after it's been in your mouth. Hold on. Time out. I dropped some, let's go back and restart. But she was just like, nope, I'll take that. You and here back, here's some more for you. Like, yeah. That's really funny. Like a mother. Absolutely. Yeah. There was another episode when Tupac Shakur was a Mm -hmm. guest star on the show. Were you in any scenes with him? I I know that Jada Pinkett Smith had a storyline with him, but were you involved with that episode at all? I co-wrote that episode and directed it. So I was really? trying to make sure that I was in as least amount of scenes as possible because I wanted to focus on directing. So no, I wasn't in any scenes. Yeah, no, I don't think I was in any scenes with him. I made sure that when writing it, I was like, yeah, take me out of that. Take me out of that. You know, take me out of that. I want to be in the booth directing. Making so wait sure. a second. So you were directing Jada and Tupac? Yes. You were the director? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have like goosebumps. <laughs> no, okay. So what was that like? To, because they had this long-term friendship since high school in real life. Yeah. Like what was that like directing the two of them together? It was fantastic. They had a seamless chemistry. It was, I had, you know, how do you direct De Niro and Pacino? You just kind of stand back and you let mm-hmm. them go. You know what I mean? And you hope that the cameras are in focus. I didn't really have to tell him much. I didn't have to tell her hardly anything. 
yeah, it was a joy to watch. It was probably the easiest directing job. The fight scene, we had to tweak a little bit. We had to work on it because it was a fight scene between Jada's current boyfriend at the time, Dorian, and, and Pac's character. So we had to kind of spend some time working that out. But once I said action, it took on a life of its own. It felt like a real fight. It felt like a real wow. brawl. And that was Pac. That was him going in like, I'm going to whoop this sucker's. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> cut, 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 cut. That's perfect. That's perfect. Good. I think we got it. Let's let's move on. Yeah, it was awesome to direct the two of them. They, you know, they were good buds. And I kept asking her, is he going to show up? Is he going to show up? Because I got lots of rapper friends and time is not their friend. So I was right. like, yo, we got to go at, you know, be ready at 10 a.m., 9 a.m., whatever. Is he going to come? Is he going to come? Does he want to do it? She was like, yeah, he's coming. He said he's excited. He's, he's on his way. Okay. Was he like eager to please and eager to do his job the way you specified it? I mean, what, what was he like on set? I, I always felt like I loved him as a rapper, but I was jealous, if you could say, of him as an actor. Because I just thought he had such range and he could touch places that I didn't know if I could go. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, there was no, I just wanted to watch. I just literally, you know, it wasn't hard. It wasn't Macbeth. You know what I mean? It wasn't right. like he's playing a, like the neighborhood cat who comes in full of bravado to claim mm-hmm. the girl he thinks is his. He was like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and she was playing the girl who kind of was trying to get away from that life. It was really, you know, there were no real notes for them. Mm-hmm. There was nothing to say, hey, try it like this. Everything they did was magic. And at that point, we were in our fourth or fifth season. So the show was running itself. You know what I mean? Right. All the actors were tight. We could do it in four days instead of five if we needed to. Like, there was no, oh, I'm having a hard time with this scene. Like, I can't get the actor to do blah, blah, blah. No, there was none of that. It was like, oh, shit, that was great. Jesus, I'm so happy that I'm directing this week because I don't have to do anything but snap my fingers when I want the cameras to change. And that was the best part of the job. Nice. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. 
And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Your daughter was born in 96. Was she 24, 25? She's 25. When did you introduce the show to her? And was she like interested and into it? In the beginning, no. I don't think she understood. And then, you know, the internet came along and her being of a certain age, she'd find clips of me doing weird stuff that she had never, you know, a side of me that she didn't know. Like we finished the show before she was born. Mm -hmm. So, and I didn't watch it. I'm not a big fan of watching my stuff until 20 years later, like 20 years goes by. And then I'm like, oh, let me go back and see. I never saw this. I never saw that. Then I can watch it with a much more forgiving eye. But she found pieces and found clips and stuff of me dancing and acting a fool and was like, oh, my God, what is this? How come I've never seen this? Where are you hiding this? And I was like, <laughs> OK, you want to you want to see a different world? OK, so, yeah. So she's watched it for sure. But it wasn't something I was like, hey, watch me on TV. Watch me on TV. Like, right. My biggest thing was I remember she was into the Bratz as a kid and I bought her a bunch of Bratz dolls and then I got an offer to do a Bratz movie and I was so excited because I was keeping it a secret from her and I was going to take it to the little premiere screening and blow her mind by the time it was done she wasn't really into the Bratz anymore (laughs) so she was like yeah that was like three years ago I was into the Bratz I was like oh I know kids are like a moving target. Like they're so fickle. Every time you think you're cool enough for them, you're not. No, not at all. So I stopped trying. So I let her discover it and then I'll be happy to share like, yeah, okay. Well, anytime you want HBO max. 
Yeah, they're bringing out all the vintage stuff now, yeah. like yeah, all yeah. the cool. Like I've been watching the Golden Girls, like yeah. binging my brains yeah. out. On the yeah, Girls. good stuff. So my son actually knows you from Casey Undercover. <clears throat> Rob, that is that was that Disney Plus. Disney Channel, Disney Plus, Disney, probably Disney it's probably Disney on Channel. Disney Plus. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. So your daughter and Zendaya, I think, are the same age. Same month, same age, same year. Are, did they become September. friends? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep. So what was that like? So you you've got like a teenage daughter, and then you're playing the dad of a teenage daughter. I mean, so what was that experience like? for you i couldn't wait like ever since the different world ended i've been trying to find something where i was a parent like i bought a dog i bought another dog i bought three more dogs i had six dogs i had you know i was always trying to find and i had a kid and i was like ah oh. and then it was like i want to do something where he's where i'm either playing a teacher like Dwayne was kind of was on his way as the show ended or mm-hmm. a parent and then when casey undercover came along I didn't really know who Zendaya was. You know, I wasn't, I was a little skeptical about the Disney channel because I was like, I want to curse and bleed and do all kind of, you know, <laughs> adult stuff. And ain't none of that going to happen on a Disney channel. So what am I getting myself into? But when I got word of the audition, I was in New York and I told my nieces and my sisters were asking me, so what are you going to do? What are you doing next? What are you blah, blah, blah. I said, what is this show with this girl named Zendaya or something like that? And they want me to be her dad. And she was like, Zendaya? Everybody from my my six-year-old niece to my 30-year-old sister, they all flipped out. I was like, you have to take that. That girl is going to be something. And I was like, who is it? What? Is she African? (laughs) (laughs) What? What is a Zendaya? Yeah. They were like, no, go do that show. And I went back and was like, all right, let's explore. And then met her and thought, Hmm. And then we all got in a room together and auditioned. And it was like, okay, this is a family. Me, Camille, Tammy, Z. That really felt like, you know, that core, when they got us all in a room mm-hmm. together to read for producers, that audition felt like this is a family. This this could be wow, my daughter. Cool. That's definitely my son. This could be my wife. This could be my family right here. And for people who don't know, you guys are a family of spies. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are accountants by day, spies by night. Right. Yeah. yeah. So for people that are catching or want to catch it on Disney, so you're a family of spies. And, yes. And Zendaya uh, like, is a high school student dealing with being a junior spy. Right. And she has to keep it from her friends and, yeah. and all of that. And that's Zendaya. Yeah. Okay. She has to be a spy. So what do you think about how her career has blown up in the last few years? That's my ace. So. All of these moves have been really well thought out. I was there when she booked Spider-Man and we jumped around the room like, holy, you're going to be in Spider-Man? What? <laughs> there when she got the, the musical with Hugh Jackman. Jesus. The showman was there for that. I knew that, you know, we were like, yeah, once we get out of Disney World, we just want to get a chance to get our hands on some meat. Just to right, sh- test ourselves to see if we can act really like, you know, because we've been doing nice easy cotton candy for so long it's like right i gotta see if i can really throw down still like and she you know euphoria was it and i'm loving it are zendaya and your daughter still friends yeah 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 she and i are closer because we've worked together every day for four years but right yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to back up a little bit because you said something interesting before. So you grew up in Brooklyn. So your mom was living in Manhattan. I'm assuming your parents were divorced at that Separate, point. Yeah, I don't, Separated? I, I, yeah, I wouldn't even say they were ever married. It was just like, yeah, I don't yeah. know if I planned. Right, right, right. I got no, I mean, I've never been legally married to my son's dad, so I know what you mean. I always just say I'm divorced, right? I'm like, whatever, leave me alone. I'm divorced, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, yes. I was raised early from you know, from zero or from what I can remember to nine by my grandmother, my great grandmother. So that's where I grew kind of grew up in the the early years, and then at, at nine or 10 or 11, maybe I moved into Manhattan with my mother. So when you moved to Manhattan, what gave you the notion or the inspiration that you might like to try acting? My mother had been on my ass from the time I was like six. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? You know, what, what are we going to do? Because we're not just going to do nothing. Like Let's, you slacker, you better have a better yes, career. At six. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I told her, I was like, just to get her off me, I told her I wanted to be Spider-Man because that was my favorite thing at the time. And she was, you know, quick with the comeback. You want to be Spider-Man? Or you want to draw Spider-Man? I was like, you can't be Spider-Man. That's, I want to draw Spider-Man. And so she put me in art school immediately. As soon as we moved in together, I was off to art school. And then it took maybe two weeks before I realized these kids are miles ahead of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I want to draw Spider-Man. I think I want to be Spider-Man. What do you got for that? And she, boom, sent me to acting class. And that's where I kind of was like, oh, I, now this I like. Wow. I was bummed because Saturday mornings when all my kids, all my friends were playing, you know, football or watching cartoons, I had to get on a couple of buses and a train and go uptown to, to go to acting class for four or five hours. But I don't think I missed out too much. That was the one thing I was like, damn, I wish it was during school hours. I wish I could do acting class instead of school. Yeah. And then have my weekends to play and, and, you know, still be, you know, somewhat of a kid or do what I wanted to do. Well, but, did you ever check out, like, what is that school that a lot of actors went to, LaGuardia? No, that- I, I think that came along right as I was finishing. I remember LaGuardia. I remember hearing about it. But I tried to get into PA, performing arts, mm-hmm. and, and had the worst audition ever, which was awesome, which was one of those building blocks. It was like, even if it goes horribly wrong, you can still rebound. And then Julia Richmond had Talent Unlimited, which was a program that featured art, dance, drama, and musical theater and band. And so I went and auditioned for that with the art program because the drama was full and got in and was like, yeah, I'll switch over to, to drama next season, but ended up staying in art just because I wasn't at the bottom of the pack in art mm-hmm. at Richmond. And it was all about girls. We could go to the art students got to go to dance class and sketch dancers. So as a wow. high school kid, it was a boy of that age. It was like, yeah, I'm going to stay in art class because <laughs> we get to take our pads every other day and go to the auditorium and watch the dancers stretch and dance. Can't be Interesting. Well, you guest starred on The Cosby Show. Was it one time or more than yeah. one time? No, one time. Once. Now, how did you land the audition for A Different World? I was in California after school days, visiting some friends. And I went and saw Lisa. They were filming A Different World. I wasn't part of it. 
And I went down and watched them tape an episode one night because I was friends with them. One thing I remember is that it was long, is that for a half hour show, they were still going, you know, like started at 730 and at midnight, they were still grinding. I was like, oh, Jesus. You probably so, thought it only took a half hour to film. And you're like, what is this bullshit? Exactly. Well, well no, I did the Cosby show. So I kind of knew. Yeah. But yeah, it, it took way longer. Cosby. Yeah. They were out of there by 9.30, 9.45 tops on a show night when you get the live audience in. Because you want the audience to be fresh. You don't want them sitting there sleeping and dozing off at midnight. You want them fresh for laughs and reactions. Mm-hmm. So you want to keep it moving. You want to have a definite pace to it. So, yeah, once I saw how long you know it took to shoot an episode, I was like, oof, boy, they're going to need some, something over there. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a call saying they were looking for new characters. And I was like, I bet they are. So, yeah. So I went in and auditioned once, twice, three, and then four times, and then and got the job. So it was Lisa who hooked you up with the audition? No, Sounds no, no. Like- no, no. That's agents and managers. That's, that's oh, you know. okay. Yeah, it's casting puts out a call and they send everybody that looks like me that fits this description to this room and everybody sits there and you go in one at a time. I mean, it'd be nice if, you know, I don't even know if she knew that they were going to be adding new characters so that she could hook me up. But usually a good casting director knows all the talent or knows any new talent. And it's like, I need to see everybody. So bring them all in and we'll figure out which one is the best. And yeah, so I just got a call. Okay. I heard a rumor. I don't know if it's true that at one point they were trying to do a reboot. And I don't know if it was like to revisit your guys' lives at this stage of your life or just to make another show about an HBCU and young people. Did you hear anything about that? No, we have been trying to get the rights so we could reboot it for about 10 or so years and the owners aren't ready. So everybody on camera side is ready. It's like, yeah, they're rebooting everything. We should either, you know, some kind of version of it. It's what I think the kids need today. It was good enough then. We won't be able to catch the lightning in a bottle that we did then, Mm -hmm. but we definitely can reimagine it in a way so that it's relevant and it's about the kids and school and get that same fire lit on the kids to inspire to be something else. Yeah, actually, my son's father, he went to an HBCU because of a different world. And he went mm-hmm. to one in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Yeah, it's the, it's the best compliment. Whenever I hear, I wanted to go to college because of you. I went to a specific school because of you. You know, I wanted to be an engineer because of you. Was, you know, I can't hear that enough. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That must make you feel so proud. Yeah. We yeah. never thought, I never thought when we were doing this, I was just trying to be able to work on time and stop my hands from moving when I talk so much. <laughs> I never thought that we'd have any kind of impact, much less a, a lasting impact 30 something years later, where mm-hmm. it's still relevant and, you know, clips from the show can still be enjoyed. That's what's so interesting to me is that the fact that when you are an actor and you are in a film or you're on a successful television series, you're not just entertaining people. You're actually sometimes shaping the course of their destiny. I mean, that's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's never planned or at least it wasn't planned, but the result is mind blowing. 
like, mind blowing. You can't imagine that. I mean, you you imagine people sitting at home and then laughing and having a good time, and that's about it. That's about that's about as much as you could hope for. Yeah. And then to see it go ten times further is really like wow. Yeah. Okay. We, we, we did something. Yeah. I actually caught a little bit of you on Netflix mm. yesterday in Teenage Bounty Hunters. <laughs> so that is a really cute show. Is that, are you still filming that or is that one done? No, nah, they gave done. us one season and they said, yeah, bye-bye. Oh, uh, okay. That sucks. Yeah, that really sucks. Cause I, I had as much fun doing that show as I did any show in recent memory. I just had a great time. The writing the, my castmates, all our directors, the character. I really dug that character. I just thought I could do this for a little while. This guy's fun. Yeah. And he has some place to grow. You know, he has some growth. But it was, you know, it's still there. So it mm-hmm. can be watched. So yeah. you know, if you can, go ahead and give it some love. It won't let you down as a binge, a quick binge. Mm-hmm. So Moonhaven, tell me if I get this right. It takes place 100 years in the future. Mm. And there's a utopian society, like a colony that's formed on the moon to try to solve the problems of Earth. Did I get that right? Exactly. That's what they told me to say. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, tell me in your words, like, tell me a little bit about the story and, and your character. I play a detective on the moon and... The detective on the moon is not the detective that you would think of on Earth. There's no real crime on the moon. Mm -hmm. Like, we have figured it out. We have figured out hunger, world peace, disease, all of that stuff that that plagues Earth is pretty much... And you don't weigh as much. You don't have to worry about your weight (laughs) (laughs) on the moon. (laughs) Gravity. No gravity. So when there is a crime, there's a really specific and odd way... that we go about investigating it. So yeah, so this, our pilot episode takes after a crime. There's been a crime and my partner and I, Dominic Monaghan plays my my partner and we are investigating a crime that is going to lead to some other stuff that's going to lead to some other stuff. Okay. But there's never really any crime on the moon. The jails are empty. <laughs> you know, there's no bars, there's no cells. There, you know, it's, it's like a walk-in kind of joint it's like a drive-through in the storyline is there money is there currency no we don't have money that's why there's no crime bam you're gonna like this show you're gonna like this show i mean imagine like if you think about it the fact that what would compel somebody to do something amoral or immoral if not for money right? right yeah yeah it's gonna be a crime of passion okay that's the only other place you can go. So as detectives, we're more of a grief counselor than a who done it and why and how and mm-hmm. blood spatter and forensics. No, that's not important. Let's take care of the people who are grieving. That's more right. important. Yeah. Did you start filming it? We did the first season. And it's coming on AMC? AMC Plus. AMC Plus in 2023? Nope, it should be 2022. It should be sometime in the spring or summer this year. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And we're just hoping that they let us go back because we we just touched on the beginning of the story and there's mm-hmm. there's a lot more to tell. 
So I hope this one isn't, uh, this one gets, you know, another season or two. We, we could really get really deep. dig in. Yeah. in two more seasons. What are your thoughts on, okay, so humans, I mean, we've done a lot of good things, but we've kind of trashed the earth. That's yeah. fair to say, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so you have someone like Elon Musk who wants to go to Mars and create colonies <laughs> on Mars. And I mean, don't you think we would just muck it up there too? Yeah. Unless we changed our priorities. And that's what Moonhaven, Moonhaven has the technology that can save the earth, mm-hmm. but you have to change your culture. It's a certain culture that we live under or live by on Moonhaven that you have to learn that before we give you this technology that will fix the earth and eliminate all of the mistakes. You have to change your culture. You have to change the way you live, the way you think. So, yeah. So we can't go to Mars with all this shit still, excuse me, all this stuff in our heads. And and Mm -hmm. no, we'd have to really kind of rewash your whole brain and think in a whole new way, a whole new society basically okay yeah yeah so if you could travel back in time to any famous historical event and somehow intercept or change that event where would you go and what would you attempt to change wow it seems like the first thing that comes to my mind is that i'd have to save my woman i'd have to save martin just so we could see what they would do You'd have Uh, to say what? I'd have to save Malcolm X and I'd have to save Martin Luther King. Oh, okay. But what if you could only choose one? Because if you're talking one event, like which one do you think could actually change the course of history in a way where that would be the one that you'd have to try? I'm pretty sure Malcolm died first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd save Malcolm. Okay. And, and hopefully we could save Martin. Interesting. Okay. Do you think that his legacy would be like, yes, his life would be spared, but do you think his legacy would have the same impact had he lived a full life as opposed to being murdered young? Yeah, it's funny because once you, you die young, you, you become a god. But I think. I think if he was still around, the teachings would have reached more, you know, because mm. he would have had to grow and change and adapt. Right. And all of that would have made him better and us better for having him. You know, he would have been able to import that into us. So, yeah, I would think that it's hard to say because now he's, you know, he's it. He's mm-hmm. the one that you look to and say, but this guy said and that guy, and, and what he was saying and what he was saying. And then you never get to hear what he would have said. Had he lived another 10, 20, 30 years. Right. Um, that's where I think it would have got groovy because I think he was gone before I was born. So. Okay. So, yeah. So it stopped there. You would have appreciated having him on earth throughout your childhood, your adolescence. Yeah. etc. Yeah. As a real person, instead of this God, you know what I mean? This God that, that you sense. have to, to read books and look at old tapes and you get his views from the time he was living in and not the times you're living in, which are really close. But, you know, in my 20s, would I have liked to know what he thought about the world we were in? And in my 40s, I would like to know what he thought about the world we were in. So, yeah, that's pretty much, a, uh, I wouldn't say an easy choice, but the one I would make. 
Interesting. Do you pray ever? And if so, who or what do you pray to? Never was uh, raised with the religion. My mother and her father were Muslim, or are, and were, Mm -hmm. was. And my grandmother, who raised me, who I spent most of the time with as a youngin, never really pushed anything at me like that. Never really didn't go to church. Maybe my great-grandmother, I'd see her walking (laughs) from the building. I could see her walking on Sundays with her hat on and her shoes. Maybe she went to church every now and then. But my grandmother, no, who was my primary caretaker, my parent, basically, no. So I tend to think that there's good in all of them. You just have to extract the parts that speak to you. A so, religion. Yes. Yeah. 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 What so what do you like when the shit hits the fan, who do you bargain with? Yeah. It's funny. I read this crazy book. What was it? The four agreements. And one of the things it said was don't worry about stuff you can't control. And that put me at a, at ease with a lot of stuff. So that's pretty much who I bargain with. I go, yeah, I could get really riled up and really, you know, bent out of shape about this and that happening and that happening and this, but I can't control it. So why worry about the stuff I can't control where I can focus energy on something that I can't control, which is me. So I, I bargain with me. I say, Hey, don't you get out of pocket and do nothing crazy. Okay. And what's the best advice you've ever received? Success is a journey, not a destination. Enjoy the ride. What do you think you came into this life as Kadeem Hardison to learn? And what do you think you came here to teach? I think I came to teach patience. And I think I came to learn Wait for it. Right. Wait. <laughs> That's, yeah, wait for it. It's it's, 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 it's it's tough. You don't went and got deep in the last 30 seconds. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I came to learn self-reliance. Yeah. That's a good one. I, I, I mean, I had a lot of that as a kid. That was, uh, you know, when you're raised by a grandmother, you can get away with murder. So you right. really have to police yourself on how much of a chance you're going to take. And how much you're going to do, because you better know that you had a lot of rain, you had a lot of freedom to go out and, and, and either do right or do wrong. So, yeah. So I think I came to learn that, you know, learning how to balance that freedom and self-reliance, like still being able to take care of yourself and, and stuff without relying on others as much. And patience. Patience is like, you know, I'm as bad as patient as they come. So. If I can help anybody understand anything, it's just be patient. I like that. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, sir. This was a great interview, and it was so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too, Allison. And I'm looking forward to watching Moonhaven, so I'm really excited I, about that. Yeah, hopefully we'll talk again after you've yeah. seen it. And you can tell me what you think, because I, Absolutely. I, think I don't think there's anything like it on TV. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah. All right, well, have a beautiful, blessed day, and I will you speak too. to you soon. Thank you, Alice. So as I always ask you, I know I'm like a broken record. What did you guys think? Kadeem Hardison is 
and you have to check this out. If you're listening to this on like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you have to check out the video uh, version of this episode on YouTube, and you'll see what I mean. Kadeem is the most chill, down-to-earth, super sweet guy. I mean, like, even his face, he has, like, the kindest face. He was just, like, so sweet, you know? Like, I, I don't know. It just, I've interviewed hundreds of people in my career, and, and and most people are nice, don't get me wrong. Like, most people are totally cool and fun and interesting. But Kadeem Hardison, he just, he's just such a sweet guy, my God. I mean, like, I, I really hope that Moonhaven becomes a hit show because he's just so super awesome. I just love him to death. Anyway, so drop me a line. Let me know what you thought of this episode. You can review it on Apple Podcasts. You can hit me up on Instagram at the Allison Kugel, or you can leave a comment below on YouTube. And yes, you have to check out the YouTube because you'll see what I mean. He is like the sweetest. Anyway, so <laughs> I will catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Peace.